Hello and welcome to Creativize, Strategize, and Synergize, a podcast about the business side of being a creative. My name is Chris Scott. My name is Atish, and in this week's episode, we talk about identifying your core values and building a dream team around them. Nice. Good deal. So it was painless. And you saw Vivica A. Fox. I saw Vivica A. Fox, and I guess that uh, one drag queen that was on that one drag queen show that everyone thinks is really awesome. Uh, I couldn't tell you. I think her name was Tempest something. Tempest? Tempest du jour. Tempest du jour? Yeah. As in Tempest of the day. Yeah, it's very. Uh, I also saw a Shakespeare play this weekend. Which one? Merchant of Venice. That was such a weird play. I think you would really like it. I have never heard of it, or, or rather, I've heard of it, but I've never like read or watched any of that. The Merchant of Venice. I think you would really appreciate because it's about this Jewish. Well, they did like a 1930s set in Italy version. Mm-hmm. So it was like the Italians versus the Jews. Okay. And the guy playing Shylock was like this Jewish father who doesn't want to give his daughter up. Her, his daughter wants to marry this Christian, but he, she can't be a Christian because they're Jewish. Mm. And somebody owed him a debt and somebody paid that debt with their body. And they never paid the debt back. So he had to cut a pound of flesh from his breast. Jesus. So they went to court and he's like, I brought my knife. I'm going to cut this pound of flesh off the chest. And they're like, no, you can't do it. You got to be nice. You can't do that to people. You can't cut skin off their chest. <laughs> uh-huh. And he's like, I am. I have, I have a deed here. It's all legal. It's all proper. He owes me a pound of chest. This Christian, this Italian is going to pay his debt to me that is owed to me. I'm not going to be one of these Jews that gets screwed over. Damn. And then the court screw him over. Predictably. Yeah. The, well, I guess the, the court guys were the wives of the two guys that got in trouble dressed up like judges and they it was, it was, a, it was so <laughs> super bizarre super bizarre moment in the play yeah I don't, but, I don't uh, <laughs> but the wife was dressed up like a judge and the she she was like well you can take the pound of flesh but you can't draw any blood because drawing christian blood is punishable by death mm-hmm. and then he was like fine i'll just take the money and he's like that they're like nope too late they offered you the money before that, and you said, no, get out of here, and we're taking half your property for threatening to cut someone's skin off or something like that. Damn. And then his daughter turned into a Christian, and that was really sad when her dad died. Damn. That sounds depressing. It was a bizarre, weird ending. Yeah. But it was the well, play that with the, the, the line of, uh, but uh, if, are you, do you not prick me? Do I not bleed? If you do not tickle me, do I not laugh? Oh, yeah. You know that? If I do not fall, do I not stumble? I yeah. Know. I'm not, hasn't I'm that not been Shakespeare. adapted into like a lot of other uh, speeches at certain times? Oh, yeah. I'm sure that's that's been parodied or referenced many a time. Homaged. Homaged? Can that be a verb? I know to make an homage or, of something. I know if anyone's going to make up a word like that, it's going to be you. <laughs> yeah, that you can you can homage it. Well, that's cool. You're seeing plays. You're uh, and you're uh, involved in moda. You're you're really involved. Yeah, some in the crazy scene. hair fashion show. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So you're, you're a, getting out there. Did you have any uh, meetings this week or any? I had a few 
meetings, I think. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I met a former Globetrotter. A Harlem you, Globetrotter? Yeah, a former Harlem Globetrotter, Eugene Edgerson. Uh-huh. He was, he, uh, he's also a former U of A Wildcat. Oh, okay. And I'm pretty sure he was on the team that won the championship that one time we won it. <laughs> back, back in 97. That one time? Or he was on the team after the year after we won it in 97. Mm-hmm. Something like that. And he's going to be in one of the short films. So I have a former Globetrotter now. Oh, my God. You have a former Harlem Globetrotter in one of your movies? Yeah. And he's really tall, but he's super nice. That's awesome. Good luck getting everyone else into frame with him. I'm a little nervous about that. Yeah. Um, that's sweet, man. That will only more add to the motif, I feel like, because didn't there used to be always those episodes of like Batman meets the Harlem Globetrotters or, or Scooby-Doo like Scooby meets Doo. the Harlem yeah, yeah, Globetrotters? Yeah. Definitely. I think that'll definitely add to your uh, mystery motif. I made a joke that he had to do basketball tricks the whole time. He was on camera. Oh, my God. Uh, he thought it was funny. You should so. definitely at least get some like be real footage of him doing basketball tricks, right? I know. I, I know. No? You, no. you don't think he'd be down? <laughs> I, I think he would be down, but I, I'd feel like I'm making, I don't know, like somebody bounce a ball. That's weird. I, I think that, that, I don't know. Well, I don't he's know. like, uh, he's, does, he's not involved in the sport anymore. So it's like, hey, remember the good old days when you're good at basketball? Do that for me right now, please. Yeah, that's true. I, I guess mean, uh, you know, you've seen uh, Party Down, right? Yeah. When everyone went up to Adam Scott and was like, are we having fun yet? Are, you're the guy. Are we having fun yet? Like, yeah, yeah. they want him to say the line. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, okay. I get it. Maybe maybe not the basketball stuff. Maybe not, but we'll see. I'm sure he'll just volunteer volunteer it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he brings a ball to set with him. You know, maybe you don't have to say anything at all. Maybe it happens organically. Fingers crossed. Or at least those are my, uh, my hopes about it. Yeah, let's see. In terms of uh, my uh, wait, I had another, I had another thing that popped up. Oh, what happened? Uh, like you know, how I've been telling everybody this is going to be a, a benefit for a certain nonprofit. Uh huh. The uh, Tucson Symphony Orchestra. Yeah. And I'd never actually talked to the Tucson Symphony or- Orchestra. I was <laughs> telling people it was. Right. But I got a meeting with the Tucson Symphony Orchestra. Awesome. We're going to meet on Friday, and we're going to I'm going to meet with them with the lady in charge of the program, I think, and the lady in charge of marketing and advertising. Oh, I got you. Well, that's cool. You're you're uh, legitimizing everything. Yeah, everything's becoming legit. Awesome, sweet man. Yeah. Um, in terms of my like, what I kind of did with my week, um, I found out that I'm going to be like they. Uh, I don't know if I told you this or not yet. I'm pretty sure I didn't, but like they figured out at work that I take notes on literally everything. Okay. Like literally, and that's something I've been doing since high school. Like I. I just write down everything because I'm too paranoid that I might need stuff later. I'm kind of like a like a notes or an information hoarder. You know what I mean? Okay, right. And sometimes that's like my desk has a total beautiful mind situation going on right now because I just have sticky notes and like sheets of paper like everywhere. <laughs> and it looks crazy. I um, believe it. But uh, I, uh, they told me that uh, we're hiring two new people um this summer and okay. uh, i'm gonna be responsible for training him so i get to write all that stuff and do all that stuff hey yeah yay it's it's coming full circle full circle 
Or I mean, and then you're and then you're quitting two weeks after that. Yeah, probably. (laughs) No, you're not. No, you're not. I mean, quit, get fired, something like that. How many months has it been up there? Two. Only two months? Well, let's see. I I started work January twenty second, so right now it's the twenty fifth of March. Right. So yeah, I've only been working for two months, but it feels like an eternity. It does has felt like so long. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know why it just has felt like so long. Yeah, I know. And like every now and then I'll have people from Tucson come up and visit uh, here in Phoenix. And I'll ask them like, so what's up? Like, what's what's new going on? Like, who's doing what? Blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, you know, it's kind of hard to say because I don't know where you're at. Like, I don't know what what you have been present to and what you haven't been present to and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of like I'm I'm really uh, starting to see how I'm I'm now like somewhere in between. You know what I mean? Already? You're already? Yeah. Well, maybe not. I don't know. Out of those circles you were in before? Yeah, I guess. But but that's kind of for the best, I think, in a lot of different ways. Do you find uh, when you see people that they assume they tell you everything? And then they start talking to you about something that you've never that you've never heard them talk about before, but they would talk to you about it. So you just kind of go with the conversation. <laughs> you just like let it ride. Yeah. Um. I. I uh, I don't really know that many people who I assume tell me everything. Huh. You know what I mean? I think I have like three or four people that I think that's true for. So I think that would only be uh, pertinent in that that scenario. Mm-hmm. I have some friends that I see every like, like maybe once a month, maybe every other month. Uh huh. And they just assume I'm always up to date on their life. Oh yeah. And it's always like I'm, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, like they're talking like as if you like read their blogs or some shit. It's like uh uh-huh. probably not. Um. Yeah. I also I'm starting to get crazy allergies, so that's why my voice might sound weird. This sounds normal to me. It does. Yeah. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> Anyways, so um, we were we were gonna gonna get into some talking about building the dream team. Oh, that's what you want to call it. I mean, that's that's what I was. I feel like uh, we always agree that we're talking about something, but you and I have completely different conceptualizations of what those things are. I think that's all my fault. I think I, yeah, I think that's all me. <laughs> I, I don't know about that, but that's some. Hey, that's some extreme ownership right there. Which is I have this. Book. I have I have this problem with lots of people, though. I'll be like, "Hey, I want to do this, this, and this," and then it's always like, "Oh, I thought you meant it this way," but then I'll be like, "No, I meant it this way." Do you mean in shooting or like corporate work, or what do you mean? In shooting and corporate work and creative work in a lot of venues. Mm, yeah, I think I, I get. I'm. I keep things too vague. And I should start getting more specific. Yeah, yeah. Like um uh clarity is a very is a, an important skill to have. Like clarity of speech. Right. Uh I think that that's that's just kind of something that uh has been going out with with time though. You know what I mean? Because I yeah. think that, that that's happened like in the age of texting and very brief emails from your phone and stuff like that. You don't have the capacity to completely uh like like raise your bandwidth of the information that you're dis- distilling and all that kind of stuff. Right. So I think that's just part of it. But then again, I'm also the person who I talk a lot 
Um, and never say anything. Yeah. Oh, so that reminds me. <laughs> um, do you know who Jordan Peterson is? Jordan Peterson. Yes. From Peterson, Peterson, and Peterson? <laughs> the very same. Okay. No, um, is he an MMA fighter? No, he's a surprise. <laughs> is he a scientist? Good good guess. Good guess. No, he's not an MMA fighter. He's he's a I think he's technically a uh psychologist, but okay. he's he's become pretty famous because like he's been uh mired in some controversy recently. Uh because he he's like just a person that you when you hear him speak, you just he's one of those people that you just understand that he is far far more intelligent than you okay you know what i mean like you you get a glimpse at somebody and you're like oh shit like they are actually really smart i must be doing something else you know what i mean uh-huh so he has this um personality assessment um that you uh you can buy off the internet like it's it's uh it's pretty in depth so it reveals to you and i was warned um by my buddy colton i was warned that on the one hand it will like you will see a lot of things about yourself that you didn't notice or that you don't really have full appreciation for. But at the same time, it will also uh, like kind of ruin you a little bit because it's like it's completely honest. And so like uh-huh. it's very honest about the things about you that you maybe don't like. And one of the things that was on mine is that like it became my uh, my extroversion was very high and my enthusiasm was very high and so it but it basically combined to say was that i talk a lot about everything (laughs) it's very true i would agree with that statement yeah i know and i was like oh my god of course like (laughs) chris would totally agree with this (laughs) um so yeah and and but weirdly enough it also said that my openness was low so it's like i talk a lot and i and i'm in like i have this extroverted nature but i talk in a manner that i'm not actually being open because i don't want to like actually communicate you know what i mean right which uh which that's troubling that is a little troubling but isn't that like uh like a skill or a talent that people have to just go out and just be exuberant and out vocal and just say things a lot just yeah. to feel like the emptiness but not really <laughs> but i think that that's that's like something like that kind of is the skills of a car salesman you know what i mean yeah or a crowd pumper upper crowd pumper crowd upper, warmer sure. upper warmer yeah. upper yeah well i um so i also i've i've gotten two new things like it's funny that you say crowd pumper upper. I've got two new things that are like kind of my projects, like long-term projects that I want to see how far these go. And like, maybe if I can interject these career wise, um, number one, I already told you, I want to become a stunt actor. Okay. Just because I realized I'm not a good actor like at all, but what I can do is like these different, like if I, if I just got really good at these different, like martial arts tricks and stuff like that, that I already do, I could get roles like that guy, Tate Fletcher, who's in John wick, but he just gets yanked down by the beard and shot in the head and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You'd be great at that. Yeah. I'd be great at that. Um, and then number two, I kind of want to get more into public speaking, but I don't know how you do that. I have actually a friend up in Phoenix that is in a toasters club. I think that's what they call it. 
What's a toaster's club? Like toasters or t- toast time or something like that, or maybe <laughs> something like that. But it's like a, a public speaking group, and you all get together once a week, and you somebody gives a speech, and then you critique each other. Just you know, who's what was good about your speech? What was bad about your speech? What was clear? What wasn't clear? Hmm. You said like forty nine times in the first two minutes. You know, stuff like that. Dang, that sounds like a. Like it's a, a tough, a tough learning curve. Uh, but it's in like a, a community of fellow learners. So it's, you know, you're going to a class together or you're going to a workshop or a common ground area. What's mm-hmm. a good way to, what's a good comparison? Like, I guess uh, maybe your first Zumba class, you, you know, you remember your first Zumba class? I do remember my first Zumba class. I mean, there are slow moves and then there are like advanced moves and you just kind of go on there together, but you all kind of are doing the same thing, just doing your thing. Uh-huh. And, you know, people cheer you on and, and tell you, hey, do it like this. Or they do tell you to do it like that. So it's not so much like you're getting certified or anything like that. It's just your, this is something I want to learn. This is a group of people that also want to learn the same thing. We're going to go learn it together. Hmm. Because especially with something like public speaking, you can't talk to the mirror. Yeah. And critique yourself. You can't really record yourself and then critique it. You might you could. Right. Well, <laughs> I mean, you, it'd be hard to be objective about it. Right. I mean, I don't know how often you listen to the recordings that we make, these podcasts. It's so difficult for me to listen to my own voice. It's hard for me to listen to my own voice as well. But I have to sometimes when I edit because editing. Yeah. And it's just crazy. Yeah, it, it it really makes me um, sort of like not only do I hate my own voice, but then I start to see what people are talking about that I sound pretentious sometimes. And I think it's I know what it is. It's because I I uh, like I'm kind of sometimes lazy with my word choice, but I always am precise with my a- emphasis. Do you know what I mean? Right. Uh, except You're when really I'm really good at when, emphasizing when, words. Yeah, exactly. But but when I'm like drunk, I kind of just roll over stuff and it gives it all more of a natural kind of cadence. Whereas when I otherwise I have a really halting sort of way of, you know what I mean? Uh huh. I don't know. Maybe that's that's my own. <laughs> that's my critique right there. But if you want, I can find Anyways. out that group's still going. If you want to join a public speaking group, make new friends. Yeah, I, I do want to make new friends and I do want to... And then I'll, can I say I'm a professional toaster then? I think, I think there's some sort of process to get there. I think there's a pin that looks like a toast, piece of toast, some bread. Wait, are you serious? No, I'm not. I have no idea. I'm making stuff up right now. (laughs) I was like, that right there is incentive enough for me to want to do it right now. (laughs) But yeah, let me reach out. I would legitimately wear it with everything. It would be so great. That'd be your, uh. American flag that you should be wearing. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's, a, that's a toast, a piece of toast. When I run for office, instead of a American flag on my lapel, I'll have a piece of toast. There you go. And I think why. a lot of um, a lot of Americans can relate to toast, so it's a good move. Yeah, definitely power play. Anyways, so uh, well, at least what I thought, <laughs> what what you were uh, talking about. What what did you mean when you said team building? Oh no! I'm uh, so I'm starting these projects, and in two weeks we're going to start shooting one of these short films. 
Wow, shit, and I'm, that's fast. I am crewing up. I'm casting my film. Yeah. And I'm surrounding myself with people that I'm going to have to be stuck with for three days. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, some longer, some shorter. And it's just that whole process of who do I really want to work with? I'm in a position where I can pick and choose who I want to work with. Right. How do I bring, who do I assess or how do I assess people to bring them to the table? Yeah. And all that fun stuff. Yeah. Like how do you figure out who you can work well with or who's like a productive asset versus who's somebody who's going to drag your production down or, you know, like kind of be more of a, more of a hindrance than anything else. Right. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult, especially, I don't know about you, but uh, for me, when I was in uh, high school and college, like you have to do a lot of group projects, right? Uh-huh. And, and I mean, one could really kind of say that your line of work is a series of like intense group projects. Oh, yeah. Like that's pretty much what it is, right? Oh, yeah. So, um, so but, but I was always notoriously not bad at group projects because it's like I got A's all the time and stuff, but I just always did all the work. You know what I mean? And I realized like I have I and it made me kind of incapable of uh, of uh, kind of being able to not have complete control. You know what I mean? Like I, uh-huh. I always want to have 100 percent control over my work. And that's not really the most productive way to get anything done. I'm realizing now, like much later. Like that kind of stuff can kind of fly in college when you're just doing a project for, you know, oh, we're building a a um a, a little mini database programming in C. You know what I mean? Like you can do that all by yourself and it doesn't uh it doesn't have any negative side effects to it. But if you are out there in the quote unquote real world and all you do is like your own work and you don't you don't collaborate well with others, it will minimize the amount of different perspectives you can have, which will minimize the ability to do something the optimal way. You might be able to do it correctly the way you see it and it gets the functions done, but it's not going to be the best way because you couldn't possibly have seen everything that another person might see. Right. But in, in, and in college, you're mostly out for yourself because it's your grade that you're trying to get an A on. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I've had one positive college group relationship that was just we always worked well together in every class that we were in together Mm -hmm. and it was always we were always on the same page about everything so that was always the easiest group project that was always group project group i was in yeah yeah you had your you had your uh set kind of person right and this was film school so you know in film school everyone's a director everybody wants to be a director everybody wants to be the next tarantino (laughs) uh tour filmmaker so everybody kind of just knows it all yeah, those are yeah. like the worst people to work with because oh. they think their vision is the best end product right and it's constant battle of trying to <clears throat> bless you Thank it's you. a constant battle of trying to pitch everybody how your vision is the best version of it the end product which is hard to do yeah no definitely. and then once and then once you get out in the real world then there's structure then there's a hierarchy that is kind of understood in a workplace. Right. No, totally. Um, and, and that kind of leads me to my first point, what I was thinking about. Because so I'm similarly invested in learning how to, how to build a team or how to figure out who I can work very um, prosperously with. Because my 
end end goal, like the the final goal after I do all this middle term stuff where I gain experience and uh, credentials and yada yada, um, I want to have my own consulting firm, like business mm-hmm. consulting firm, and I just want a team of specialists. You know what I mean? Like people right, right. from different disciplines who are able to, um, who we're able to uh, work. Uh, I, I don't want to use synergistically because <laughs> because that's too close to home on this podcast. But uh, uh, we can well, work. It's a, uh, a little on the nose. Yeah, a little on the nose. We work uh, symbiotically, if you will, um, in different departments with different specialities to create like full comprehensive solutions for any business. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Like multi-angled approach. Um, not referencing the Schlieffen plan on this podcast, that's for sure. Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> but um but so so I'm also very interested in learning how how to have a you know an optimized sort of team like somebody a group of people you can actually work really well with and I think that that's something you're seeing a lot in younger companies like for instance um are you familiar with Book in a Box? No. Should um, I be? Is uh, that, are they It's a, it's an interesting company for sure. Um Are like, they a sponsor of uh, the Joe Rogan podcast? No, they don't actually. Oh. <laughs> this, I've I've learned about the believe it or not, I've learned about this <laughs> completely outside of the Joe Rogan podcast. Oh. Yeah, this is new. Um no, Book in a Box is actually the reason I know about it is it's uh Tucker Max's company. Do you know Tucker Max? The Frat Boy? Yeah, yeah, the, 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 um, the Frat Boy. Booze, booze and the what is the book called? Two beers and a something or other? I hope they serve beer in hell. I hope they serve beer in hell. Thank Followed you. by um I forget what the second one's called, but I think the last one's called Assholes Finish First. Huh. Yeah, anyways, great books. Um I kind of interestingly, like I've realized that he's somebody in terms of like, I'm definitely, I try and follow mostly a Tim Ferriss sort of perspective. Like that's where my interests lie. But I've also Uh found that Tucker Max isn't far away from, from like somebody as a business icon that I look up to because he's a person who was hyper intelligent and like got into law school and everything like that and then didn't want to do that and instead started writing and then made a successful business out of writing I mean that's fucking crazy who reads books anymore you know what I mean anyways I'm trying to read the tipping point oh yeah Uh, so you've started I bought it that's phase one (laughs) well that's the that's the first step i guess i don't know what phase two is but phase three is we're gonna discuss it yeah yeah um once you get into it you'll really like it it's it's a it's pretty cool it's it's filled with really uh interesting observations that that kind of start to make your mind wander and anyways um book in a box tucker max's company is um uh the the reason why i bring it up is because they call their their company like everyone in their company their tribe and their tribe all just kind of all their positions follow these core sets of values like i'm sure they would hire a harvard graduate over some other graduate but only if the harvard graduate had you know exceptional work in those values you know what i mean okay. so I'm, i think like younger companies are becoming less focused on you know oh where did you intern and what did you get your degree in and blah 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 because these days everyone interns everywhere and everyone gets a degree in everything you right. know what i mean I think companies are getting more focused on do you actually exemplify the key ingredients of what this workplace kind of requires or what we would need out of your position, which 
Um, which honestly is kind of how I think I got my job is that like I fulfilled uh, one of the core values that they need at this. Our, our mutual friend uh, Charles just got a new job. Did he really? Kind of the same way. He's no longer doing whatever the heck he was doing before. It was super when, unclear what he was doing. I didn't yeah. understand it. But now he's going to work for some new development firm here in town. Oh, awesome. That develops apps. So he's going to learn how to develop his own apps and stuff like that. Oh, shit. So, yeah. So he's really excited about it. That's awesome. Because it's something he wants to do and get into. But, you know, he doesn't have any experience or a degree in that. But he was still able to get in there with his, yeah. I guess, worth ethic or his experience in a semi-similar field was able to land him this position. Well, I yeah, exactly. Like, um, first of all, shout out to Charles. Congrats on the new job. Don't shout um, him. He's, he doesn't listen. He doesn't. Well, then fuck Charles. Right. There. I said it. Um, <laughs> um, no, but but that's kind of what uh, what I think happened with me. Uh, they they realized that one of the key ingredients to be a good asset to the particular team I'm on is that you have to be kind of a uh, like multi-threading type of thinker. Like you can't approach a problem one way. You have to be able to approach it from multiple different ways and then work things through like that. And so I think it didn't like, yeah, they were definitely considering my resume and there was a bunch of stuff on there that looked good and yada, yada, yada. But I think what it came down to was, did you fulfill out these core values that this position requires as opposed to, do you check a lot of boxes that everyone likes to see on a resume? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of identifying, uh, identifying a good team member or crew member or something like that is if their their work or their style of work kind of jives with the same core values that yours do because you don't like on the one hand i think uh competition is good and opposition sometimes can be great but at the end of the day you can't have somebody who accepts like d level work and skates by working for like say yourself where you like everything dialed in exactly where you you know like where you can actually be proud of it right you know what i mean so it's like you wouldn't want to have somebody on your crew who's just like okay with shitty work no yeah so that's so that's like one of your that's one of your core tenets that's one of your core values that like Mm -hmm. you know i want the type of person who only accepts like like we will do a shot and another shot and another shot and another shot until we get it right like not somebody who's just like okay coasting right so I think identifying core values is a big one. Um, and then I uh, did I already tell you about that book Principles by Ray Dalio? Is that that really thick book? It is a really thick book. That you don't stop talking about ever? No, I never stop talking about it. It's great. The really thick book that I say looks like a Bible? Yeah, you keep saying that. I don't know why you say that. It doesn't look like a Bible. You showed it and it was as thick as a Bible. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a pretty thick book, but that's because it covers um, it's all like, the principles. Well, yeah, exactly. All the principles. It, co- it covers not only this guy's personal life, but it also has like his uh, his like principles about life and then his specific principles about work and investing and that sort of stuff. So so that's why it just like covers a lot of information. Okay. But one of the things that he says in there is that. I think it was really critical um, in order to be effective, you have to practice radical open-mindedness. And what he means by that is that you have to be 
kind of like it's it's combined like the ability to to uh perceive all of their options or all all uh all paths or all all different types of problems or that sort of thing but also have the humility to understand that you may not have the best answer right you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and i think that's a core that's like a key part of working as a team is being willing to like have that conversation not this my way or the highway you know i'm steven spielberg i know everything best you know what i mean i think ultimately to be a good collaborator you have to have humility to be able to accept that you might not know everything and somebody who may be far removed from your station might know something better than you do right right i think though in this creative venture of filmmaking you kind of have to be the end all voice the say all end all voice but also <laughs> i don't know if that sounds right the but also you have to, say all voice you're the, you're the final word you get the final word yeah <laughs> but you also have to walk that line of being open and receptive to other people's ideas right so it's anyway end it's, all and all be all say all be the all alpha and omega no it's like i i get it you you it's it's a fine line to toe because on the one hand you need to uh be able to kind of stick to a path and be able to like make things happen the way that they are like scheduled to happen the scenes have to work the way the story tells them all that kind of stuff like you wrote it and you're directing it so you understand what what you're trying to put together and how everything should feel and all that kind of stuff. But right. at the same time, you also need to be receptive to, you know, understanding sometimes like I forget which, which um, director they were talking about and which movie, but uh, I was recently listening to a review. And one of the things that were saying that was really great is that sometimes this guy, maybe it was Judd Apatow. Yeah, actually, you know what? That's what it was. It was an interview with Judd Apatow. And he was saying that, you know, sometimes he, like, he'll do a take per the script. He'll do another take per the script. And then the third time he'll be like, you know what? Um, why don't you just kind of, like, figure out how you want to word that or how you want to do this scene? And, uh, and you know, you kind of just do it your way. Make sure you hit these key points, but kind of do it your way, see how it feels. And mm-hmm. he says about 85% of the time you can get a better scene out of it that way because it looks more natural or it feels more natural to the actor and they're still getting across what you wanted to get across as long as they're doing that but it kind of you can get it to feel more natural and and maybe look a little better than the way that you had actually written it or envisioned it Mm -hmm. so i think that comes down to that radical open-mindedness and um uh again that guy ray dalio has like an interesting way to practice this which i think is really uh like i'm gonna start adopting it myself Whenever you have uh, contentions with somebody about how some work should go or how some problem should be solved or how some scene should be shot or how some line should be read or something like that, instead of having an argument, like you're not having an argument, you have, uh, a th- you have what he calls a thoughtful discussion about it. Okay. And he says that you should make sure that you uh, – are only basing stuff on facts 
and not on feelings or anything like that. Like you can't get your feelings hurt in the middle of it and then decide to like, no, I'm going to dig my heels into the sand and stand my ground on this issue. You know what I mean? Like only when there's evidence for what you're trying to claim or what you're trying to push forward, can you still defend it? And then number two is that in your thoughtful disagreements, that's what he called it. Thoughtful disagreements, not thoughtful discussions, thoughtful disagreements. Um, you allow two minutes of time on an uninterrupted, uninterrupted time each. That way you make sure you're not like running over each other's, you know, thoughts or ideas and everyone's fully able to like state what they mean or mean what they say. But then after the end of those each two minutes, you have to make a decision and stick with it such that you're not getting diminishing returns on thinking of a solution for too long. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I think that's like, that's part of that communication that I think is healthy team building. Right. But, but I don't know. I think you're kind of more used to being in a leadership position than I am. So maybe you have a different perspective on it. Well, I was thinking about this earlier this week, and I was trying to compare the team I was building for, let's say, Eddie Mummy mm -hmm. and the team I'm building now. Yeah. And who survived and who has not. And why who these people survived? Have, what do you mean? Who made the chopping block? Who? Oh, I see. Like who's, who's in your next crew and who's not? Right. Who survived, you know, from project to project to project. Yeah. And there's one person that I've worked with for over 10 years. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, I'm uh, my buddy Jaime. Oh yeah. And the reason why I like working with Jaime is that we never agree on anything. <laughs> that's, we, that's actually so true. The, the few interactions I've had with the both of you, that is very true. We never agree on anything. We always, I think we, it's a, uh, like what we were saying earlier about how you say something and it's perceived in a different way. Yeah. I feel like that's why we argue so much is because we don't understand. We, I think we have the same end goal, but we don't say it the same way. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that's why we never agree on anything in all, in the whole process. But ultimately you actually do have the same thoughts in mind. You just both express them differently. Right. But also at the same time, we also understand that there's a project happening, that things need to get done. Someone's going to make a decision and we're going to make it. We're going to follow through with it and we're going to own it. And then we're going to move on to the next problem. So you guys both kind of accept like you have respect for each other's perspective. So eventually if, if something comes down the line and like something needs to be done, you're both okay. Just like doing it that way. Right. Well, our worth ethic ethic, I think falls into the category of make whatever you have work. Yeah. As opposed to, I can't do it because I don't have this. Mm -hmm. Like we problem solve until we make what we have work, which I think is a good thing to have in a team member. Oh, definitely for sure. At least, in, at least with one other person that understands that you're trying to get something done, and this is all that we have. So we're going to use this to make this happen, and everyone else get on board. Now there's two of us. Right. Now we have, you know, a, a gaggle of people <laughs> to complete a task. A gaggle. A gaggle. Isn't that like three or more? Um, you know, two or I more? don't really know the technical definition. Oh, snap. Is yeah. Chris bringing the word of the day to the podcast? Yeah, I think you've got the word of the day today. I, I, I think I missed my shot. Mom's so, spaghetti. Mom's spaghetti. 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 <laughs> spaghetti. Uh, I think, <laughs> I think uh, that that's... That's basically uh, you have the same like sense of urgency 
right. on a project and and the the commitment to something as opposed to either I mean there there then are two different extremes that can hinder that process. Number one is uh, somebody who is so controlling and does not accept any other perspectives and stuff that they jam up the process by, you know, arguing over every little thing. I've definitely worked with some people like that. Um, and then sometimes I can be pretty controlling over my own stuff too. It's definitely a fault that I'm trying to work on. No, I, I've noticed it. But yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely that sense of urgency. Yeah. Working with a lot of creative people, if you'll give someone permission to tweak, you know, their lighting or to tweak the camera angle, or to tweak the performance, they will never find the perfect performance. They'll just keep going and going and going. Oh, and if you don't like put a hard limit on that sort of? Right. Or be like, that's good. That's perfect. Just letting them know that they don't need to keep going. They don't need to keep tweaking and fiddling. And that's what a, that's a lot of creative people are like that, I think. They're just... Tweakers and fiddlers. <laughs> right. I mean, I feel like painters really never feel, finish their paintings probably. Yeah. Like, oh, I wish I could have added one more dot here, one more gleam of light, or whatever is happening. Hmm. So, when on a film set, that is the worst because you have a crew of people, you have a crew of actors, you mm-hmm. have a schedule to keep, and there's a bunch of rules that fall in line with the schedule, and you can't tweak forever. Right. And you have to shoot 14 pages today which is a lot, which is ridiculous. Don't ever shoot 14 pages in a day. What? How many pages are you supposed to shoot in a day? Well, if you're like a big time Hollywood feature, they probably shoot maybe three pages a day. Oh shit. And independent films, I think go into like the six to seven pages per day. Oh damn. Yeah. Why, why would you try and do like that many more percentages of, because you don't have time or money. (laughs) <laughs> so you're just making it happen right so uh that's why i enjoy working with jaime is for those qualities so i'm trying to think of another person that came from the eddie mummy shoot to the new shoot is i guess the unit production manager she was in charge of a bunch of paperwork and a bunch of wait i'm sorry for for people like myself what is a unit production manager they are kind of in charge of all the logistics of everything. Okay. So like where are people parking? Who's doing this? Oh, they're like they're like a project manager. Right. Okay. But it's all for logistics. They don't really do anything super fun or exciting. They kind of just, you know, like, oh, we have four people in the art department showing up. Let's make sure they have enough time to set up this and let's make sure they have enough room to put this there and all this other fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. Where are we eating dinner? Where are we eating lunch? All that fun. Okay, they're like figuring all all the all the details out, right? And I feel like she survived because she also had a solid work ethic of just getting it done, just moving forward, always moving forward, and keeping things going and getting things done. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. This is the new theme. Sense of urgency is the new. That's that's one of your core values. New core value that we yeah. just defined. You like you like people who uh, understand that you know your work is very time sensitive. So right. you have to kind of keep chugging along at something. You can't, you can't really afford to break things down or completely just uh, stop down and let everyone try something a million times or do like a million different things. You have to like keep on the same schedule, keep everything rolling in one fluid motion and hit deadlines. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, how many times do you hear about films getting delayed or like pushed back or something like that? And that always looks like a bad sign. Um, I think the first time I remember that or the the first conscious or the first time I what am I trying to say? The first time I was actually conscious of something like that happening was in uh-huh. uh, wasn't that the production of Man of Steel? I don't know. I didn't hear any about that one. I I or or no, what was the movie where they changed it was um Edgar Wright was supposed to do it. You know the Ant-Span. guy from the uh he's like in those movies with uh or not he does those movies with uh Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Ant-Man. Who? Ant-Man. Was that the one? No, I I mean maybe it was that one, but basically it was like they production got like was delayed and he was supposed to be doing it and then he dropped out somewhere in the middle and what that basically i mean i think what you can infer from that is that they like there was too much pushback too much creative pushback going on and they couldn't resolve and move forward so then this guy dropped out you Mm -hmm. know what i mean like they weren't hitting their their scheduled points because they were just doing too much pushback at every little point and um that delayed production, and then eventually he drops out entirely, and they have to find somebody new. I could have sworn it was something where they replaced Edgar Wright with Zack Snyder, but I maybe I'm inventing that. That doesn't make that doesn't sound right. No, no, that doesn't sound right at all. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I can't think of anything since Zack Snyder's done that would that Edgar, Edgar Wright would have wanted to do. Yeah. I know the last movie he got kind of in a tussle with was with uh, Ant-Man because he was on board to direct that. Mm-hmm. And then they had creative differences and then boom, he's out. New guy came in and Ant-Man is what we have today. Yeah, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. I don't know. I didn't even see the movie. So my frame of reference isn't very uh, right. Isn't very good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's the important part of uh, a sense of urgency is that you – like the the mission is more valuable than your little internal disagreements. Right, which is a thing that a lot of people that didn't make the second team, the second string, didn't have. It was always about them. It was always me. It's like, what is happening with me in this moment? Right. And that, an outward uh, care of the end product or the project on the whole. At least it wasn't visible. It, was, it wasn't felt. It wasn't shown at all by their actions. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I I very rarely have to be that collaborative, but in something like a a movie, I feel like everyone's little pieces all account for a lot of the production. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Even if someone's just like kind of half-assing the fucking lighting, I feel like that will make a significant difference in your film, no? Or is that not true? <laughs> it, it's true, but there's a bunch of checks and balances and whatnot, but the... If someone is half-assing something, it's 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 obvious that they don't really care about the product, the project, and why would you want to work with that person again? Yeah, and I think you know urgency is nice, but also caring a little bit, just a little bit, and so, having some self, like some dignity in the the work you're doing. So whether your core values is also sound. really deeply caring about the project in and of itself, not just being like a good actor. Like you could ostensibly have a good actor who well, doesn't really care about the movie. I don't. I don't think it's necessarily about caring about the prod project product. What am I? <laughs> uh, but product project. I think it's just about caring about 
doing your job well. Mm-hmm. If everybody has a job title, let's say on a film set, you know, I show up on set as a director and I direct well, and the actors show up and they act well, and the director of photography lights it and shoots it well, and the grips do their job well. Everybody does their job well because they care about their job. Right. It kind of rolls over, boils over into the project being good. Hmm. So, so it's a cumulative effect. Like basically not one person's overwhelming passion can make the project good. It's everyone cumulatively makes it good together. Everyone cumulatively doing their job well and caring about their job and knowing that if they do this part well, it's going to add to this part of the story or it's going to just add to the whole project on a whole. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess my my question kind of seeding off of that is do you prefer to assemble a team of people uh, that have very well-defined and rigid roles or do you prefer to have kind of more of a fluid organization where people can kind of weigh in in a lot of different ways and roles are purposefully less defined to allow for more uh, kind of ambiguity in that then a lot of people have more freedom in what they do? Well, I've done a lot of the second one where everyone's kind of just like show up and we'll do fun stuff. We'll have fun. Yeah. And that kind of takes away from the whole hierarchy that I kind of wish was there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do appreciate a person that can step outside of their little tiny defined box and help out in another department or make a suggestion, but still know that at the end of the day, they have to do their title. Well, their assignment. Well, that makes any sense. So the sound guy can show up on set and make a suggestion about a lighting setup. And Mm -hmm. if it's a great lighting setup and a great idea that nobody else even thought of seeing, we're going to set that up. But at the end of the day, that sounds really bad. I don't (laughs) care about that lighting thing. I want the, I want it to sound really good. So you, you want to have kind of at least the structured hierarchy that, you know, you're able to rein in kind of chaos or like just disorder from happening. But you do want, um, you do want kind of a little bit of purposeful ambiguity such that you can have like a malleable working product. Right. And I mean, if we didn't already use gaggle as our word of the day, I think malleable would, oh no, we already used malleable. Right. I use that one a lot. You use malleable a lot, the book principles a lot. (laughs) And I think I use ostensibly a lot. I think that's one of my favorite ones too. Right. You should put that on a t-shirt. Ostensibly? Yeah. (laughs) In air quotes. In air quotes. I mean, ostensibly. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what I say. Um, so, I mean, if I'm interpreting this correctly, it, it sounds like, and this is should be a shock to nobody, if uh, you know Chris Scott, this won't be a, a shock, but it's like diversity of background and opinion is clearly very important to you on your team. I think so, yeah. Yeah, because you think that that's how you can kind of get the best product is from different different people with different experiences being able to like pass along their better work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's something that, um, I mean, that's not really a recent development, but I think that that's something that's becoming more and more important on, uh, in, in like companies or like 
uh, creative teams of any kind is uh, they used to, I think there were, you know, those really prestigious law firms for the longest time that they're like, oh no, we only hire Harvard grads. You know what I mean? And right. then you all end up getting the same guy. And that's great for a little bit, like just for rote problem solving and stuff like that, or like just a driving force. But at the end of the day, I don't think you can, you can, uh, kind of discount how important, uh, a, a difference in perspective can be, or a difference in background can be. I think that that's exactly what makes, uh, teams more versatile and able to handle a variety of challenges instead of like just having the same approach, the same textbook book approach to everything. Yeah. I think you see that a lot in like serialized drama shows or like, what do you mean? Like mystery thriller shows. It's always like, like a, a quirky, CSI Miami. I don't, I don't quirky, know what you're referring to. A quirky white guy that leads a team of tech girl. That's quirky and goth mm. and, this one, you know, other smart ass guy. And then like the nerdy guy, it's like a, it's like a very formulaic thing that you can see in a lot of primetime TV shows. So, so are you, uh, are, are you saying that that's like false diversity and that kind of creates, that's like not what you're talking about or, or is that like an example? I'm, I'm unclear. Yeah. Well, what, what, uh, I forget. I wasn't really, I was only half listening to what you were saying. <laughs> but you're talking about diversity and how it kind of it's kind of like the norm now is to be that to have that generic setup. Yeah. And how now this now is the time that where people are finally realizing that hey, we're everybody's in a rut because they go to the generic mm. yeah, formula. Like yeah, the original certain... MacGyver versus the new MacGyver. The original MacGyver was just Richard Dean Anderson going off and blowing up boats with duct tape and pipe bombs that he made out of rolls of toothpaste and baking powder. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. And the new MacGyver is a team. It's MacGyver with the grumpy old guy and the techie nerd lady. And it's wait, just like, uh, wait, wait, wait. There's a yes, new MacGyver? There is, and it's not that good. It's a, I don't this think is on it's TV right now? Yeah, it's on every Friday night. Let me guess. It's on USA. No, it's on CBS. Oh, shit. Okay. I'm not a big fan of it, but I'm mostly upset that the new show uses the original theme song for like three seconds, and then it goes off into this terrible, like, orchestral dubstepy type thing that just oh, is terrible. Oh, no. They're trying to, it's like, like, new Janet. It's, it's the worst. Uh, so they're, they're like, they are paying an homage to the original MacGyver, but then they're trying to like oh we're gonna update it for the modern day right it's like if they took the original macgyver and added uh kind of applied the mcgruber formula to it right <laughs> and then they have a new cbs tv show because it's hmm. like come on macgyver what are we gonna do and yeah i was like give me a second i'm got my fish line out and it's, it's like pretty bad oh damn but you know if you look at another example that diversifies the original formula is the new voltron remake on netflix Oh my God, you are so ahead of me on, on this. Wait, like, wait, I'm sorry. There's a Voltron remake too? There's a Voltron remake on Netflix and it's amazing. The only thing it's missing is the original music. The original music was way better than the new music. Mm -hmm. But the storyline is on point. Really? It keeps the basic storyline of all these characters that come together, but it kind of turns it up to 26 
as a oh tish would God. say in high school. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Are you ever going to let that go? No, never. <laughs> but they diversified the cast more. It's not a bunch of white males. It's now a little girl. There's these ethnic people. The princess is a black woman. And it's just, it's more uh, relevant. It's more current and it's more enjoyable because it's diverse. Damn. Yeah, so it's so it's kind of accomplishing more in storytelling than kind of the same stuff over and over again. Exactly. I see. Um, you know what show? I mean, this doesn't really go with the diversity thing, but uh, you know what show I think does like a modern update really, really well. And I think I this is just like principles. I think I go back to this well a lot because I'm a super huge fan. Sure, it's always sunny. Oh, Sherlock. <laughs> it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Is that where you were going? Mm-hmm. I mean, I do love that show, but that's not <laughs> the approach I was taking. No, like Sherlock, because they're updating it from, you know, he's supposed to be in like, I don't know, whatever century England. And right. they modernize it, but not really in a way that detracts from the story in any sort of way. Right. It, it well, of- the the show writer is the brother. Do you know the guy that writes those shows is Mycroft? Oh, really? Yeah. So oh. and he's a super huge Sherlock nerd. Really? So that they approach it with a lot of respect, and that's how it's... I feel like some of them are really, really good, and some of them are kind of blah. Yeah, that's how I feel, too. Like, um, There's a couple episodes that I feel, honestly, are some of the best hours of television that mm-hmm. there are. And then there are other ones that are just like, eh, it's okay. So like, right. it averages out to a really, really good show, but it kind of, like... It, it if you if you watch one if you watch like one of the episodes that are really really solid first and you expect that to be the case for every episode you kind of get disappointed right i think you have to start that one at the beginning because they, they do a really good job at hooking you into the series right and it's not like i'm i'm getting so sick of origin stories i don't know about right. you but i'm completely done with that the new tomb raider is that is that an origin story oh my god Over and it, it. It ends with actually the cool part. It's like, really? This part seems way cooler than this entire movie just made us watch. Anyway. Wait, so it's it's like running a different story or what do you mean? So she is uh, Laura Croft and she is upset that her dad went missing, of course. Uh-huh. And then she decides to go look for her dad and then she finds out that her something or other, she finds a tomb and she raids it. <laughs> And she comes back and she finds out the lady that has been running her company because she didn't want to accept her trust uh-huh. uh, is like running the secret organization of evil Tomb Raiders. And she had like this whole map planned out and it's like, why don't you go after that? Yeah. That seemed way cooler to take down this organization more so than being upset that your dad's been missing. Oh, yeah. That's kind of how I felt with... um with Suicide Squad. I mean, that whole movie was a fucking mess. But, mm-hmm. um, like, they had all these little vignettes and all these different little storylines. And they picked the worst one to make the full movie out of. Yeah. Like, the the Deadshot story seemed actually kind of cool. Um, I don't know. There was just, like, all these different characters that had, like, little cool stories. And they picked the worst one to make the main plot out of. Definitely. But then again, that movie was just garbage to begin with. So I guess at the end of the day, you just have to break away from the norm a little bit when you're diversifying your team that you're building. Yeah. I mean, having having the kind of uh, 
having the kind of uh it's it's like it sounds counterintuitive but i'm starting to realize a lot of these things work that way where it's like the more kind of discipline you have to the product the more free you can sort of get with it Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like you have more ability to kind of uh to play around with the end result or what you want or something like that if you have uh discipline to the to the schedule you're trying to keep and like if you're trying to honor the source material that you're trying to make something out of you know what I mean? Like, I think that's what you were referencing with, like, respect to the script or to the material that you're trying to make, but then also being able to kind of be a little fluid with it. Right. So, I mean, that's – and I think that that's a – those are all hard qualities to kind of just suss out about somebody on, like, first meeting them. You know what no, I mean? No, like you need you, to – Like, you've met Jaime, and you've known Jaime for 10 years now, you said, right? A long time. Probably longer than 10 years. Longer than 10 years? Yeah, probably so, 15 So it's like years. you can identify those qualities in him really well because you've been around him for a really, really long time. Uh-huh. But, but it's kind of – it's a little harder to do that with a, a brand new person. But that's kind of why it's critical to, I think, have lots of conversations and lots of meetings with people that you're thinking about bringing into a project or, or working really closely with because you really want to see how they work under pressure and – you know, how they work with problem solving and if they're able to, you know, accept that maybe they don't have the best solution, but then that they're always proposing new stuff or, you know, whatever, that maybe they bring that diversity to the table that you're looking for. I mean, those are all, it's, it's basically like you have to be able to identify those things. Yeah. Didn't that guy say that at the one ten West talk we went to? Which guy? Uh, didn't we go to some team building class at 10 West? Uh, I think we did. Yeah. And it was like, you know, identify the people you'd want to work with and then invite them out for a coffee or a beer. Yeah. And don't even mention the job that you're looking to fill the position for. Oh, just yeah. feel, feel them out as a person to see if this is a person you'd want to commit with. Dude. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good one. That was a good one. So for this week, while I finish building my team, I need, I'm going to define my principles my core values, my core ethic values. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have lots of beers and coffees with potential teammates. Lots of beers and coffees. Assess whether they are compatible human beings at, at first and then see if they're compatible creatively. And then build my team. Yeah. I mean, basically, I think uh, it, it'll... it'll come down to you identifying your core principles, but then also assign them kind of in your own head. Like obviously don't, don't let other people in on this, but assign them um, kind of values in your, in your head, like on a scale of one to 10, if it's most important to you that they really care about their job, then that's a 10, right? Mm -hmm. But maybe it's less important for you. Maybe one of your other core values is, also important but less so like that ranks about a six or an eight you know what i mean so that that way you prioritize one of your core values so that if someone really demonstrates that but doesn't demonstrate something else completely you don't completely write that off but you you kind of identify immediately their strengths as according to your core values and you can kind of then make clear decisions that way right i like it food for thought I like it. So nice. Um, let's make it official. 
We're going to discuss this book, The Tipping Point. Yes. In what? Three weeks? Uh, yeah, we, I can I can probably get it done in three weeks. Let's see. Today is March twenty fifth in our time, but this is coming out in the future on the twenty sixth, and I have to go to New Mexico next week. So oh, maybe uh, I got another gig on Ghost Adventures. Nice. You're a regular. I'm a regular on Ghost Adventures. So maybe the 23rd of April, a whole month from now. 23rd of April? Yeah. I'm, yeah I'm four game. weeks. That sounds good to me. Yeah, we'll do four weeks. We're going to discuss tipping points. So if anybody wants to join in and read the book, I know everyone's busy and reading is not that much fun, but I'm sure it's on audiobook. Yeah. I'm, or just buy the book. It was like uh, not that they're a sponsor bucks. of the show, but they should be. Audible. You can, you can definitely find that book there on Audible. Also, um, yeah, definitely. I, I recommend uh, keeping up with reading. It's like really hard to do when you have a career and when you're doing that sort of thing, but nothing else. Like I can't attribute any other part of my recent like movement and success to the fact that like then I, I started picking up more books and I started reading more, which gave me more knowledge, which gives you competency, which in turn gives you confidence. Like it becomes the sequence of events. Like it really kicks things off. So uh, absolutely would encourage uh our listeners to pick up a copy of the tipping point by Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, if you have already read it, awesome. Uh, if you have any points that you want to bring up or anything like that, you can tweet us or email us or anything like that. We can leave that in the show notes. And, uh, uh, and if you haven't read it, uh, I highly, highly recommend it. Indeed. <laughs> now let's go read some and get our brains all wrinkly. Yeah. Wrinkle those brains. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Creativize, Strategize, and Synergize. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, share, and leave a rating. We'd really appreciate it. You can find Chris on social media using the handle at Elephant Scout. You can find me with at Atish Mazish. And finally, you can follow the podcast on Twitter with at CSS Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at podcast at cscottcreate.com. Thank you so much.